ready to wake up, you're going to wake up. And if you're not ready, you're going to stay pretending that you're just a little, poor little me. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty. In the 17th chapter of St. Luke, it is written, the kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you, you the people have the power. The world is like a ride at an amusement park, and when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. Everybody is I. You all know you are you. And wheresoever beings exist throughout all galaxies, it doesn't make any difference. You are all of them. And when they come into being, that's you coming into being. Yo, yo, people, how's it going? Hope you are all doing well wherever you are in the world. And this week on the Ascend podcast, this is a conversation with a guy called Stephen Taylor. He is the author of several best-selling books on psychology and spirituality, including Waking from Sleep, The Calm Center, and also his new book called The Leap. Stephen is very much interested in the psychology of spiritual awakening, and that is one of the big reasons why I wanted to speak to him on this podcast and dive into that topic. As you know, a lot of interesting things have been going on in my life, and I'm very much interested in the area of spiritual awakening. So in this one, we definitely dive into the topic of spiritual awakening. We talk about what it means to be spiritual awakened. I also ask Stephen, does he does he think that people on this in the physical in the physical plane on the planet now? Do you think anyone has become sort of spiritually awakened and sort of made it there? Is it possible? We also talk about the psychology of a spiritual awakening in society. Um, when we do, when we're us as individuals, when we do go through these different shifts and cycles within ourselves, how do we integrate that within society? We talk about meditation. We talk about the evolution of consciousness and go very deep and ask the question: Could all this, all this awakening process that's going on, could it be a part of a spiritual evolution? We dive into so much more. Anyway, as you will see in this one, it really is a mind, uh, mind-boggling one. And I also just wanted to mention as well something that I was really gutted about. So as as you know, I travel around all over now and do podcasts. And I did this one. I recorded this one in Leeds, which currently is about about two and a half hours drive from where I'm based. And um, I met up with Steve at the university. And like I said, the conversation was so good. It really was. And then I got home. I checked the audio file and something had cor- corrupted on the file. Um, luckily, it was only my microphone that corrupted so I've had so in this podcast I've if 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 the just to sort of give you guys a pre and preempt you guys the audio from my microphone is not that good because the file was corrupted so I've had to use the um the audio from the camera luckily I had cameras there so I've had to take the audio from the camera which was an absolute nightmare to say the least but it was definitely worth it for this one because the information as you will see in this conversation really is so rich and it was a cool conversation so I hope you um give us a little bit of a give us a little bit of ro- uh, space and room for the for the shitty audio as you know normally in the past the audio is perfect sometimes these things happen and happen at least there's actually a podcast because in the past sometimes I've travelled 600 or 700 miles and the audio has just completely vanished from the cosmos. So anyway, I hope you enjoy this conversation. And just before I dive in, I just wanted to mention as well, if you can, 
find it in your heart, check out the Patreon page. It is the best way to support the podcast. Even the price of $2 each month goes such a long way and helps me to keep doing what I'm doing. There's an option on there to decide however how much you want to donate each month. Also have a one-off donation option on the website as well if you don't want to sort of pay any, any monthly monthly recurring fees. So there's a one-off donation option as well. I just wanted to um, also mention to you guys that I'm currently um, thinking about how to sort of make a group for us all all of us guys to sort of um get together and speak and on a regular basis and share ideas and talk about podcasts work on some different challenges and stuff um it's, it's early days but i would love to see your guys ideas i all always get a lot of you reaching out to me asking me certain questions about certain topics asking for advice and stuff and i really think really do think it would be cool um, I know there's a lot of you out there who want to get together with other like-minded people. So when I'm just anyway, I'm just throwing it out there. I'm currently working on some sort of idea where we can all get together in some sort of online format for now, anyway, and we can just discuss loads of different ideas. But do it on a sort of a, a level where there's a lot going on, and we can really sort of um, all help each other and help each other sort of grow and share ideas. So that'll be really cool, anyway. So if you have any ideas on that, what you would like to see in them groups. And if that's something that would interest you as well, please reach out and let me know your thoughts. I just also wanted to mention, guys, to give you a bit of a heads up as well, that there's some really cool, if the if some of these podcasts do go ahead and go forward and get over the line, there's some really big podcasts coming up on this podcast and on um on this podcast very soon. And also as well, um, which I think is really cool. I've been wanting to do this for a while, but I'm actually going to be in in between doing some in-between podcasts as well, sort of like how I do observe my thoughts. But I'm going to have a couple of my close friends on on the podcast. Some of, some, some of my friends, um, when we get together, we have some really profound conversations. We really do. We have these long rambling rants. Um, some of them haven't done podcasts before, but they do know a lot of information. So we're definitely going to have a light heart. So I'm going to have some of my close friends on this thing. Um and I think it will give a, a good a good dynamic as well, just as a sort of in between bonus podcasts. Because some of my friends, as as um, as you know, when you're with your friends, you're more laid back. Um, you can get into some really deep information and deep topics. And as you know, when you're with your friends, you can just really have a good shitstorm and a good ramble and go right down the rabbit hole and have some really fun and wild and funky conversations. So that is definitely going to be coming up in the near future. So keep an eye out for them. So anyway, I know you're going to love this one. So without further ado, enjoy this conversation about the spiritual awakening. Peace out, people. trying to think probably is the, the best place to, to start this is because like we were saying off the podcast before about how your main work has been looking at the spiritual awakening from more of like a psychological perspective mm. what was it but before before I start going too deep I would love to know what what was what got you interested in the topic of spiritual awakening uh well it's my, my own experiences really you know beginning when I was like 16 or 17 I had uh, spontaneous spiritual experiences which which I didn't understand at the time, 
But um, but yeah, they they were an important part of my life, and I really wanted to understand them. And it took me a few years to understand them. I began to you know read books on spirituality, and things began to make sense. So later on, uh, years later, I was a, I was a musician for a long time. I was sort of following other other interests for for a long time. But it was always in my back in the back of my mind that I wanted to understand these experiences. And I knew that I had to kind of integrate these experiences into my life because for a long time I was very unhappy, very depressed, very alienated until my late 20s. So later on, once I'd given up my musical career and returned to normal life, I I really made a determined determined attempt to understand my own experiences and to integrate them into my life. And that ultimately led me to, to psychology so that I could study these experiences and other people. When you mentioned before, it's very interesting because when you do go through these different experiences of, of spiritual work and then you start educating yourself in life in general, you do feel alienated quite a lot in your life, don't you? When you when you sort of um, the more that you're doing the work and it's 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 hard to integrate that into society a lot, isn't it? It is, yeah. I mean, it depends on the people around you. I think if I had had people around me who were interested in spirituality and like, understood, yeah. but that doesn't happen very often in our society. So it's inevitable, you know, when you're 16 to 17, or even older, you know, depending on your environment, you're not going to understand these experiences in the midst of ordinary life. You know, if you're a normal kind of person who works in a normal job and so forth, you know, you, it takes a long time for you, for, you, for you to be able to understand these experiences. And it's really, it's actually a very important part of the process because you need a framework to make sense of your own experiences. And if you don't, then you feel confused, alienated. Um, you feel that there's something wrong with you. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really important. I remember as well that you were speaking about on another podcast that you did or interview interview was. I heard you mention about how through your sort of your um, through your begin beginnings of your journey, you went through this process where you completely stripped yourself down uh, to the the basic fundamentals of of of, um, of life. Yeah. Could you just talk a bit about that? Because I thought it was very interesting. That's right, yeah. I was uh, probably 19, 20 years old. I was at university. And it was completely, you know, spontaneous. I had no idea what I was doing, really, or why I was doing it. But I just wanted to reduce my life to the most basic, simple level. So I just let go of everything. I just um, kind of let go of as many possessions as possible. And didn't have contact with other people. Not well, very, very seldom. And I just wanted to to live in a very simple, authentic way. You know, I, I was at university, but I stopped going to lectures and seminars. Uh, I had very little contact with other people. Even though as a musician, I, I let go of my music instruments, didn't listen to music, and and also I wanted to inflict hardship on myself. So I slept on on the floor in a sleeping bag. Um, I took cold baths in the mornings, uh, I even occasionally inflicted pain on myself. Um, you know, occasionally I burned my fingers in the flame of a candle. So I was kind of living a... Like Fight Club style. I, 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 can't, I can't remember, I saw Fight Club years ago, I don't remember it now. And it's in Fight Club, so in this, in this episode of Fight Club is where they're going through this process where he burns his hand on the on a, on a fire I think it is and he oh, goes this is your moment of enlightenment this is your oh, moment of enlightenment right. now it's like in the pain oh, <laughs> right so no I don't, I don't remember that but um, yeah that's interesting so yeah I was living a kind of a even though I didn't know it I was living the life of a kind of ascetic a religious ascetic you know a kind of monk-like um, existence 
It's interesting that because it seems to be from that story is I don't know if you've ever questioned why you did that for, but it seems like because I've been I've done the similar thing. I know a lot of people who listen to this podcast done the similar thing. I know there could be many different things what it could be, but one of them for me is creating space in your own self because mm. I think sometimes when you do start waking up, if you want to call it that, and looking at the world in a different way, you start feeling overwhelmed by everything that's going on, all the, the different things, all the mm. different tendencies you have that you know you're not doing right, the way the world's set up and stuff, things that you want to make better and change. And I think, first of all, for me, you have to create that space within the self to sort of allow yourself to step into who you want to be. Yeah, I, yeah. That's what I thought it could have been for you, maybe. Yeah, I think it was that, that was definitely part of it. It was partly trying to find out who I was. Uh, trying to, I was trying to detach myself from my environment, you know, to rid myself of everything that was associated with my conditioning in order to find out who I really was. So I was trying to sort of pare myself down to the essence. And that, you know, that meant letting go of everything from my past and all the environmental influences that had uh, had an impact on me yeah it's hard to do that as well i think that the world that we live in we've sort of we've been conditioned all these years to 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 think one way and it, it i mean that's why i think i think at times i mean i talked about this on an old podcast in the past about the sense of ritual in society about how um in the past you'd as a young as a young person cultures in the past would get to this young age and you've gone this quest to find yourself mm. i think i do feel that we are we are missing that and i think that's why you see these forms of like you doing this in the past and me doing certain things of if I go traveling or whatever it is, it's this sort of this, this longing for this connection to something bigger than yourself. And mm. whatever that may, whatever, you, whatever that may be to, to, to find that in, I think, um, I think you've just got to go for it within yourself and, ch- and really chase it. And that's, that's clear. Yeah. What you did, clear what you I did. think it's, it's part of the process of spiritual development. You know, even before you engage with spiritual practices, you have to find out who you really are, and that involves you know, stripping yourself free of conditioning and paring yourself down, getting down to your essence. And until you do that, you know, it's, uh, it's very difficult to follow a spiritual path because you feel a basic sense of confusion. You don't really know who you are, and your spiritual values clash with the values of your culture, unless you're born in a spiritual culture, which, is, which will be very unusual. So, yeah, there's this sense of, um, you know... Uh, sense of discord between you and your culture but when you find yourself and you establish yourself in your deepest essence then it doesn't really matter you can face the the discord you you know who you really are and you're strong enough to you're strong enough to withstand the influence of your culture and even to you can actually begin to influence your culture yourself yeah you sort of don't care anymore that's that's what i, I, I caring but not caring as well yeah yeah so you you find a stable deep sense of identity in yourself which means that you're no longer affected by you know um, misunderstanding or, or even ridicule you know it doesn't affect you as much so uh, just to dive a bit deeper i know obviously you know your like your work you've been really looking into the deeper workings of sort of a spiritual awakening and what it what it is and obviously a big question is what what is, what does it really mean to be spiritually awakened could you sort of give your thoughts on that what, what it is to be spiritually awakened well, it's a bit. It's a big topic, you know. So, <laughs> I think in my book, The Leap, I suggested twenty-two different characteristics of spiritual awakening or spiritual wakefulness. Awakening is a process, but wakefulness is the state. You know, once you've been through awakening, you're in a state of wakefulness. But I, I would primarily define it as well. The process of awakening is a process of expanding and intensifying your awareness. So, in, in normal 
you know, human beings' normal state of being is quite a limited state of awareness. It's, um, it means living with a constricted sense of identity within your own ego, a narrow sense of identity. And even means that the world around you is a sort of fairly mundane and familiar place. It's not particularly interesting. It's so uninteresting that you don't, a lot of the time, you don't even pay attention to it. You know, you give your attention to iPods or to TV screens, and you don't actually pay much attention to the, the natural world around you because it doesn't seem particularly interesting. And also, there's, in, in our normal sleep state, there's a sense of isolation, a sense of ego isolation, as I call it. So you feel that you are trapped inside your own mental space. The rest of the world seems to be out there on the other side. And that sense of separateness causes a great deal of anxiety, a great deal of discord. I think, I think that discord is at the root of a lot of human behavior and you know, the desire to escape from the discord. You, know, you can escape from it through getting drunk, from watching, you can escape from it through watching endless hours of TV or being on the internet and so on. But when, you, when a person wakes up, the boundaries of the ego, they become very soft. So a person's identity begins to expand beyond the, the confines of, the, of their own mind and body. So, you know, consciousness expands. So you feel a sense of connection to the natural world, to other people. You feel a sense of compassion and empathy towards other people because you are connected to them. And also, even within yourself, there's a sense of connection to something deeper within yourself as well. Because the narrow confines of the ego have faded away, you feel that you're gaining access to deeper aspects of your own being, like strange energies, strange potentials, unknown, previously unknown aspects of your own being. So, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's an expansion of consciousness outwardly, but also inwardly as well. And the, and the world around you becomes much more real as well. Your perceptions become much more uh, awake to the world around you. So things become more vivid, more beautiful. They become fresher and more interesting. In, in, in some ways, it's... Um, a recapturing of the kind of intense perception that young children have. Yeah, definitely, one hundred percent. I mean, do you do you feel feel like there's levels to this? Like there's levels to the awakening. Well, I wouldn't say levels, but it's a it's a continuum. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of people I think who live in a fairly, you know, uh, you could say a fairly low intense level of awakening or degree of awakening. I prefer to speak of degrees rather than levels because it's you know it's very there are lots of grey areas and lots of gradations. So I think quite a lot of people live in a you know a low intensity awakening or wakefulness, but you know as you move along the continuum of wakefulness, you know people people's consciousness becomes more intense, more expansive, more connected, more unified with the world around them. So at the the highest intensity of wakefulness, a person does not experience any degree of separation at all. They feel completely unified with other human beings unified with the whole universe and they're uh, completely free of the the discord uh, which normal human beings experience you know the kind of chattering mental chattering which creates negative states of being and they're, they're free of judgment and you know the the urge to criticize other people and so on so yeah the i wouldn't speak of uh, levels so much as, as degrees do you ever think, I like how you said that, because language sometimes is important to, to get these things across to people. Do you, think, do you think anyone has got to that point in society? The highest level of wakefulness? In, 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 a, in, a, in a physical existence? Yeah, I mean, I've met a few people who experience that state. I think a lot of people experience low intensity 
weightfulness, as I said. And but yeah, obviously the higher up the continuum you go, the further along the continuum you go, the more uncommon um, those states become. So I think you know, I think some people have reached the uh, the point of high intensity weightfulness. Not many, but certainly some people. Yeah, it's it's, it's crazy. It's like it's it's really interesting thinking like that because I keep thinking to. I mean, we know this physical world that we live in. It's there's so many different. You pulled back in so many different directions, so many different pleasures. Um, the like I said, the judgment aspect. You you see, you know, you know the way that this the physical setup of the the different pulls that we have in our mind. And I think for someone to to get to attain that level, I mean, you've got to have some real, <laughs> real um, discipline or skill in your mind to do that. Mm. Well, funnily enough, I think mostly it happens accidentally and spontaneously. I mean, obviously, there are some people who follow spiritual paths for decades. They live in monasteries or um, hermitages away from the ordinary human world. So, you know, it's, it's possible that gradually you can reach that state over many years. But in my research, um, I found that usually it happens suddenly and spontaneously, and most frequently following intense psychological turmoil, like, you know, uh, maybe a diagnosis of cancer, maybe a bereavement. So often, following in the aftermath of those experiences, so ter- those terrible experiences, people undergo a sudden shift into uh, a state of wakefulness. Do you, do you think everyone eventually is going to have to attain this this state of mind? <laughs> maybe not in this lifetime, or maybe in a lifetime. But do you think that's what it's do? That's what it's ultimately doing is trying to get everyone uh, to get in, to know themselves. Really, it's yeah. It's about evolution, and eventually. You know, whether it takes hundreds of thousands of years or even millions of years, I think not necessarily human beings, but life forms will attain this state. It's, it's the direction of evolution since the beginning of life on this planet. That's what I was going to, uh, one of the questions I was going to ask you is, is, is what is the purpose of this? Because like I said on previous podcast, I'm, I feel like if I'm in my own self, I've been going through this awakening process. Ever how, whatever, whatever word you want to put on it, but it feels like something's clearly happening to me. It's clearly happened to listeners who listen to this podcast. People are becoming generally, on a basic level, people are becoming more and more aware. Mm. And as a civilization, we're becoming more and more aware. And I keep asking, what is what is the purpose of all this? Because the big question that I've had is, is that it's clear to see that when you when you have dreams, dreams is doing that. It's trying to tune in your subconscious mind to make you a better person. Psychedelics do that when you have a psychedelic experience it tries to make you like go of the ego and step into a higher part of yourself many different experiences are all doing this and it's like a kundalini awakening does it um sh- different other shifts and within the self do it what what is this have you questioned what is this doing what is it trying to do to the to everyone basically well it is the you could say that it's the a process which has been underway for hundreds of millions of years since the beginnings of life on this planet. You know, on, on one level, evolution is a physical process. You know, it's um, it's a process by which life forms become more complex in physical terms. You know, more cells get together. They become more interconnected, more organized. They produce different functions of the body. So, you know, over, over hundreds of millions of years, living beings have become more complex physically. You know, leading up to human beings, you know, we've got, we got 100 billion brain cells all incredibly intricately interconnected. Yeah. Uh, but there's, a, there's another aspect of evolution. Evolution is also a, an inner process. And the, the increasing physical complexity of evolution is paralleled by an, an increasing intensity of consciousness. 
So as living beings become more conscious, sorry, more complex, they also become more complex. And so there's an increasing kind of spiritualization, you could say, which goes along with complexification. And that's continued right up to the level of human beings and also other animals. I don't want to single out human beings as being the, the most superior animals because I know there are animals like whales and dolphins who are incredibly um, sophisticated as well and sentient. But we are, you know, we are certainly one of the most sentient and conscious species on this planet. And when a person uh, follows a spiritual path or when they undergo a sudden spiritual awakening, there's also an intensification of consciousness. You know, their consciousness expands in the same way that it's been doing for hundreds of millions of years. So it's a continuation of the same process. So we're caught up in this evolutionary process and that process is manifesting itself inside us. So when people feel the urge to meditate or to follow some kind of spiritual path, then I think it's, the, it's, the, it's an evolutionary impulse inside them to expand, to intensify. So that's, that's one part of it. But I also think that, you know, that the crises that we're facing as a species right now, I think that's also serving as a, an impetus to evolution. It's like, um, you know, just as with an individual, a sudden psychological crisis, um, a sudden period of intense psychological turmoil, such as a bereavement or a serious illness, that can awaken somebody. In the same way, in, on a collective level, the crises that we're facing as a species, are having an awakening effect. Do you think consciousness, because the question that comes to my mind is when you're speaking about that, do you think consciousness could be some, some sort of like, um, some, a very similar to say like gravity or something like that, like, <clears> a, like a, a thing that's inbuilt within the universe to like, I don't know, Definitely. it's hard to explain, but do you, do you get what I mean? Definitely, yeah, I mean, I, I believe that, yeah, that's, that's one of the themes of my, my last book, Spiritual Science, the idea that, you know, the fundamental reality of the universe is spirit or I, I sometimes call it fundamental consciousness um, and it's the the source of our own consciousness I think you, you could compare the, the human brain or any brain any nervous system to a kind of radio transmitter which picks up fundamental consciousness and channels it into our own being so I, I think there is I, I do think that the fundamental reality of the universe is consciousness or spirit and I believe that spirit has a kind of dynamic quality which allows it to give rise to material things. I think material things ultimately arise from fundamental consciousness or spirit. And because spirit has a kind of dynamic or creative quality that manifests itself in evolution too. So it kind of, it impels life forms or human beings to move towards increasing complexity and consciousness. And empathy as well, really, that's the thing. It seems to oh, be, yeah. it definitely seems to be doing, like, creating that form of empathy in the universe. Definitely, yeah. I mean, yeah, empathy is a very important quality because it transcends separateness. You know, living beings, many human beings experience a state of separateness. And there are certain moments when they transcend that separateness and experience interconnection. And empathy is one moment. You know, sometimes when people are in love, they experience that too. Um, often, again, coming back to the theme of crisis, often it happens after crises as well. After some crises, some sort of cataclysmic, catastrophic event, you get this sudden emergence of altruism within a community and people experience uh, an interconnectedness. You, you were, that sense what you were describing before about the sense of um, 
of consciousness. Like I said, being this sort of, I don't know what's the right word to use, some sort of fundamental state that's ever sort of, what's the word, omnipotent, I can't say it, omnipotent, well, how do you say it again? Omnipotent? Yeah, omnipotent <laughs> in the universe. Like it's ever present, it's always there at the time. Yeah. It's, it's like you said, it could, be, it, could be driving, it could be driving evolution. Because the ancients believed that. I mean, if you look back through um, all ancient cultures and even Native Americans and people yeah, like that, yeah. they believed that there was this sort of this force in the universe that was pushing civilization. Mm. I think, mm. I'm sure, was, I think in your book you um, called The Four, I think you talked about this, um, the cycles of consciousness. I think they called it the, the Kala Yunga. Could you, could you speak a bit about that? Because that's one question that I'm asking in my life at the minute is, what is these cycles of consciousness that seem to, that the ancients predicted, that seem mm. to be emerging throughout human evolution? Yeah, well, um, well, one thing that you mentioned there was uh, Native Americans. And a lot of the world's indigenous peoples did have a, uh, a notion of some kind of universal spiritual force which pervaded everything. On the one hand, they believed in spirits, which were kind of like um, uh, energies, individual energy forces which could occupy, inhabit uh, human beings or natural phenomena. But they were also, in addition to believing in spirits, they also believed in spirit as a universal life force. So they, they believed that the whole of the universe, the whole world was a manifestation of spirit and spirit pervaded all natural things, including living things such as human beings. So they believed that ultimately they were one with the natural world because they were expressions of the same force which gave rise to the natural world. And that's why they were so, you know, so keen to, to respect natural phenomena. And they were so horrified when European colonists came along and, you know, had this completely different attitude to nature, seeing nature as a, a supply of resources to exploit and abuse. They were horrified because it contravened their basic sense that the world is, a, is infused with spirit. So that's one thing. Yeah, and in my, in my book, The Fall, I suggest that the essential difference between indigenous peoples and later human beings, so-called civilized human beings such as us, um, was that we lost that sense of connection to nature and we began to perceive ourselves as individuals living within our own bodies in separation to the natural world. Um, I called it, um, well, it's, it's the fall, but also the ego explosion. People suddenly had this sense of ego that had never existed before. And that led to a sense of alienation from nature, a sense of alienation from the human body as well. Um, and ultimately it led to a lot of social and cultural problems as well, such as endemic warfare, hierarchies. Uh, ultimately it led to theistic religion too. But what I think is happening is that, you know, we, we've been living with the consequences of the fall, the ego explosion for a few thousand years now. But I think over the last few centuries, there's been a reversal or a transcendence of the fall. And that has expressed itself in a transcendence of individuality or separation. So we speak about empathy. I think empathy, as we know it now, was largely, largely arose um, in fairly recent times, probably the second half of the 18th century. That was when, when cultures began to show a sense of empathy towards other human beings and other living beings and so on. So I think, you know, over the last three centuries, we've been transcending the ego collectively as a culture. You know, we've been developing more empathy, more compassion, a greater interest in self-development and spirituality, a sense of connection to nature and so on. 
So I think that's the phase we're living through now. What's interesting to me that is that sort of that cycle is that because when I've looked at ancient cultures, they predicted them cycles. Like you said, they like over the years we've been going through this period where empathy is being sort of developed, and we've instead of being sort of completely. I know it's still going on now, but like more, it's clear to see in the past that it was a lot more war torn civilization and stuff. Mm. It's clear, and I mean, but the 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 ancients they predicted that. I think the, that I'm sure the. Is it the Mayans or the Sumerians or something? But they they predicted that celestial cycle in consciousness. And I keep thinking, have you done any research into how they did that? Like looked into because it seems to be that to be to have that understanding, mm. you have to definitely have a different form of sight, a different form of consciousness. Mm. Have you done any mm. research into that? And what what they how did they? I mean, were they? Because I keep questioning were they a civilization who who were already what we're going into again? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's di- it's difficult to say. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think certainly these civilizations were much more advanced than we give them credit. We we sort of we have this myth that that it's that the myth of progression that cultures throughout history have gradually progressed, leading to a state of uh, advancement and sophistication. Now, but that's completely wrong. Now, a lot of ancient cultures were similarly sophisticated as us, and even more sophisticated in many ways. I mean, the Native Americans are a good example because um, in addition to having a kind of intuitive environmental awareness, they also were quite advanced politically. You know, the, the, the origins of democracy don't, don't lie in ancient Greece, actually lie in Native American cultures. And many sort of hunter-gatherer tribal cultures were ex- extremely democratic. And in fact, um, a lot of the, the principles of the American constitution came from Native Americans. They were kind of borrowed by the founding fathers of America. Uh, the ideas of egalitarianism, democracy, even the ideas, the idea of a League of Nations, a League of the Confederacy of different states that came from Native Americans, that came from the uh, the League of the Iroquois. So, in many ways, you know, ancient peoples were, were extremely sophisticated. It's really interesting how we have this perception in, in life that, that, like you said before, intelligence is comes in the form of of these categories that we put intelligence in. We put te- uh, intelligence in the form of, say. Um, I don't know what is it is human beings having technology our ability to manipulate the natural world because that's mm. clear to see that how is human beings that what we are stepping into we're trying to manipulate our environment have a more control aspect yeah. whereas Native Americans and um, cultures of the past it seems to be that they they let go of control and understood that nature was a fundamental aspe- aspect and part of their whole yeah. their whole being yeah that's right there's there's a really interesting story which was told me by told by a friend of mine about a Native American chief. There's a friend of mine called Stanley Kripner, who's kind of an elderly psychologist. Yeah, he's a great guy. But he had a lot of contact with uh, Native American tribes. And he told me this story about a... Uh, there was a village of kind of white Americans and a reservation of Native Americans close by. And in the village, farmers kept chickens, and the chickens were being killed by coyotes. But in the reservation... They also had chickens, but the chickens weren't being killed by the coyotes. So somebody from the village went to the reservation and said, what, what's going on? Why, why are our chickens being killed, but yours aren't? You know, why don't the coyotes come to your reservation and uh, kill the chickens? And the guy, the chief said, well, we've, uh, we've communicated with the coyotes and we've asked them not to kill our chickens. We said that if, we, if they don't kill our chickens, we'll allow them to roam freely. We'll allow them to thrive. We've communicated with them in higher states of consciousness. And the guy from the village, you know, he was astounded and had no conception of what he was talking about. But, but I'm sure in some sense, you know, there, there was some truth to that. There was some sort of communication. 
It, it, it's, it's got to be that really because, I mean, even if you if you speak to any indigenous shamans, like the, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the, the plant medicine, you probably are, the plant medicine ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. But basically the, the two vines, that the component for them two vines to be mixed together is on a, on a mathematical basis to, to get them two chemical components, to correctly pick them two, to put them <clears> together <throat> to create the chemical compound ayahuasca. Mathemat- like at a mathematical level, people say it's basically impossible. But right. if you ask shamans and stuff, they all say that the plants told us. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, our sense of separation, our sense of ego separation, it, you know, it creates this sense of isolation and this inability to communicate with other life forms. But once we let go of separateness, once we transcend separateness, then this whole realm of interconnection and communication opens up, including to, to other living beings. Within your within your in your life, I'd be interested to know how do you sort of how do you how do you try to connect with that? Like, how do you connect with? Um, I don't know what the right word is, but just, do, you, do you understand what I'm saying? How do you connect with that in yourself? Mm, yeah, sort of want that deeper understanding and a deeper awareness of life. I like to spend time in nature. Uh, I like to meditate, or even if it's not meditation, I love to. Or one of my favourite activities is just lying down, <laughs> not falling asleep. But I love to lie down and just to allow my awareness to spread throughout my body. So sometimes, you know, I get into egoic states where my mind becomes quite busy, usually when I'm working, doing some work for my university, maybe some marking or sending emails and so forth. So to transcend that, I just lie down and spread my awareness throughout my body. And if you, as, you spread, as I spread my awareness through my body, my mind becomes quieter again. And um, I, I, I like to live quietly. You know, I, I find that, if I'm too busy, um, then you know I I lose contact with a part of myself sometimes. So quietness is quite important to me. I'm quite reclusive even now, um, and I I find if I li- if I live fairly quietly, then I can remain in that state. And for me, it, it often manifests itself in poems. I write poetry. Um, well. I sometimes call them spiritual reflections because they're not in the form of normal po- conventional poetry. But I find that when I'm in that state of mind, poetry comes through. You know, my I seem to be in contact with something beyond my normal ego, and something bigger begins to express itself through me. When you were, when you were saying before about meditation, I mean, I've gone through this process over the last couple of years where I mentioned this to you off the podcast before about how. I've always been aware of meditation and stuff, and I've always I've dabbled in it, but it's been over the last, especially the last three or four months, where I've really understand understood what it is, what it means properly to sit with yourself, like you said, you lie down, whether it's sit in meditation pose, whether it's lie down, whatever it is. But I really understand now that the importance of just sitting with yourself, mm. because my journey's been telling me a lot lately to do that more, like to to go more within your yourself and try and cut off all the. The external distractions which which are going on all the time mm. but there's an interesting state that's happening within me and then i know this is this is very deep so i'm trying to be aware and conscious of the words that i use because a lot of people are skeptical of this but there's been a point in my journey now where like i said i've yeah i was saying i've never really understood um what it is to really meditate and i'm going through these stages now where when i do meditate and i go in these deep moments of like stillness in the mind i have these um, your body gets hit by these um, pure states of bliss. Oh, yeah. Have you ever experienced them pure states of bliss? Mm. Or maybe 
if or, and have you ever read any research about what them pure states of bliss are, are doing? Hmm. I've definitely experienced it myself. Uh, I think, you know, if you get into a deep state of meditation, it's inevitable that you experience a deep state of bliss. Because I think bliss is the is ultimately the nature of being itself. And I think, you know, in, in Hinduism there's this phrase sat chit ananda, which means being That's consciousness bliss. It is. <laughs> You've got to make sure you say it correctly. <laughs> but um yeah, literally that means being consciousness bliss. And it means that the nature of reality is being consciousness bliss. So bliss is the nature of consciousness. I think that's really true. You know, bliss, sorry, consciousness has a, a natural quality of bliss in the same way that water has a quality of wetness. But usually we're so caught up in the activity of our minds that we don't sense that bliss. You know, in fact, it's because we don't sense it that we seek other kinds of happiness. We seek stimulation and distraction because we're alienated from that bliss. So, you know, once your mind becomes quiet, once you are removed from external stimuli and your thoughts slow down and space opens up inside you, then you're definitely going to experience bliss. But I think bliss, you can experience it in different ways. Sometimes it's very calm, uh, like, a, like a lake, as still as a lake. And sometimes it can be quite energetic, uh, like, um, you know, it can be explosive at sometimes, you know, waves of ecstasy can rise through you. So it depends, you know, I think sometimes psychedelics can um, induce an explosion of kind of, um, of that energetic bliss. Sometimes intense psychological turmoil can also release this explosive energetic bliss. But if you cultivate it gradually through meditation, then it's more calm and unstable. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's, there has been moments in my life, just to be brutally honest, over the last couple of months of, of where I have been understanding them changes of bliss in the body and I've been sitting with myself and I've been swept by these pure emotions of, I mean, the only way I can describe it is like it's like a thousand orgasms in the body. You're just sitting with yourself and that's the only way, that's the best way I can describe it really. Mm. And it seems like I'm trying to, because I've been trying to analyse what, why is it, why is it doing that? What, what, I mean, I know that you don't always have to ask why, you just have to experience it. But it seems like it's this world that we're in, it's like nudging us in certain directions. And I feel like it's, for me, what I feel like it's, it's nudging me into, it's like telling me that, that you're not who you think you are. You're not, mm. you're, not, you're, you're not just this like physical body. Yeah. And it feels like it's sort of trying to make us realize that you're something more. Yeah. Well, the, these energies are always inside us. It's the, it's the deep essence of our being, you know, this kind of blissful, dynamic energy. But, you know, as, as we go, going back to, to childhood, I think children are in touch with this. You know, children, it's, it's incredibly, you know, to be a young child is an incredibly exhilarating experience, you know, because they, they have this dynamic, blissful energy inside them. I mean, obviously, children are, they're very sensitive. They're sensitive to abuse as well. So ch childhood can also be traumatic, but... You know, in the right conditions, children are really in touch with this energetic bliss. But I think what happens is that as we get older, as we become adolescents and we take on our roles in society and we're affected by the conditioning of our society, and maybe there's some sort of natural developmental aspect to it too, uh, the development of this, the human psyche, but we, do, we begin to live within the confines of the ego and we lose touch with these energetic dimensions, these these you know the deep essence of our being and you know but but at a certain point you know 
maybe it is connected to evolution. Maybe there's some sort of evolutionary imperative here. But at a certain point in some people's lives, they begin to open up again. You know, they transcend the confines of the ego. And they, they retain the kind of the benefits of adult development, the, the benefits of the adult ego, which are very important to, to live a, you know, um, a fully functioning life. But they integrate those, those benefits with, you know, a reconnection to their deeper spiritual self. Maybe that's what you've been experiencing, a reconnection to the essence, the energetic, blissful essence of your being. The more I'm sort of understanding the sensation of the energy through the body, it seems like it's, it's directness in certain aspects of my life. It's trying, to, it's trying to basically fundamentally make us a better person. Really, that's what it's mm-hmm. doing. It's, it's trying to shape my way of being Instead of just sort of this, there's this scene in life where you said, because when people say no, we're not, because like you said before, in the physical we're doing so much. Yeah, trying to make us more sort of a, a human being instead of just a human doing. Yeah. And it's um, <clears throat> it's definitely clearly doing something that is on on the way that I see the world and, and shaping us and shaping me, me psyche. But I think there's a, like you said, maybe it is a part of our evolution. To, to go back to that as well, it seems like, because I want to take it as, as deep as I can as well, I know, like just, let's just go there, you know what I mean, let's dive straight, mm-hmm. straight in the deep end. But one of the biggest questions that I'm asking myself is, with these subtle changes that's been happening through through me own self, it seems like there's a there's a purpose to everything that's going on. That's the bigger, the bigger level of sight in the world is, like I said, once you get through your own tendencies of things that you're working on, how to become a better person, start seeing your, in your, your self and others. Um, once you start getting through all that, you start realizing there's a, there's something fundamentally bigger going on here. I don't. Yeah. And the question I'm asking myself, it seems like that us as human beings on this planet. I mean, that could be. This is a million dollar question. I could be completely wrong and off of this, but I'm just throwing it out there because that's what I like to do. Mm-hmm. It seems like we're all working towards something. Mm-hmm. In that thing that we're working towards seems to be. Um, it seems to be like we're, we're going to be we're going to become uh, what's the word I'm looking for become who we who we truly are and mm-hmm. so, so then we're going to step into who we truly are whereas it's yeah. a place of beyond non-judgment a place beyond um, beyond ego a place beyond mm-hmm. um, the self yeah. it feels like this is what this this thing that we're in is is doing like it's this world that we're in it's like a it's a school for developing developing that yeah. aspect of ourselves to become definitely. spirit mm. again or something yeah well it's, it's definitely bigger than us it's definitely taking us somewhere and it's definitely moving us towards increasing interconnection I mean as I said before the essential thing about it is that it's tra- transcending separation it's taking us beyond the separateness of the ego so it's leading to increased connections to other human beings, to other living beings, to nature. You know, I think maybe over the past hundred years, one of the most significant developments in our culture has been the environmental movement. And part of it is a reaction to the devastation that we can see all around us. But it's also, you know, fundamentally it's about connection. You know, we're connecting with nature. We're realizing that nature is not outside us. It's not out there. It's inside us, it's part of us, it's everywhere inside and within our own being because we are nature and you know, we're expressions, we're all expressions of spirit. Nature is an expression of spirit, we're expressions of spirit, so we're, we are interconnected with nature. 
And we're sort of returning to the kind of awareness that Native Americans had, you know, that sense of responsibility and respect towards nature, and ultimately a sense of oneness with nature. So I think we are moving towards oneness slowly. And I think, as I said before, it's part of the evolutionary process. But also, maybe it is a reaction to the, the crises we're experiencing, because ultimately, all of the crises we're experiencing are a product of separation. They're a product of ego separation. And the only way to transcend these crises is through transcending the ego, which is what is, you know, slowly and fitfully happening at the moment. I mean, this is, this is really deep, the suggestion I'm going to make here, but it's a, it's a thought that I've had. And it feels like, um, you have a question, could it be that consciousness itself is, so just like you have the seasons in nature where you have um, all the different seasons, it seems like consciousness could be like a season where it, um, it plays this game on itself where it forgets and it remembers, it forgets and it remembers. So because it feels like, just looking back what we were talking earlier about the ancients, about how they predicted this, how they predicted these um, cycles, shifts and cycles in consciousness. It seems that we could be like playing a geek, some sort of <laughs> some sort of really interesting game on ourselves where we, because I keep questioning what would it be like to have the truth, have the gift of true sight of pure knowledge. Would that be boring? I think it could be. It could be if you were all knowing. Maybe there wouldn't be anything left to explore in the universe. So maybe. We live about these physical, and this is, I'm aware this is deep, but maybe we play these, about these physical experiences where you don't know what's going to happen. You sort of live the life of, like, you, I live a life of myself, and then, and you just play out these characters and you go through all this thing, and, you, and eventually. But uh, I, li- I like the idea of forgetting and remembering because I think both in our development as individuals through childhood into adulthood, and also in our development as, as a species, as life forms on this planet, there has been a, a process of uh, forgetfulness. You know, as we, as we evolve, we also move further away from the source. You know, we, we go in this sort of journey of development, which takes us further away from our spiritual source. So I think that ultimately the source of all uh, living beings and ultimately the source of the universe is spirit. But as physical forms become more complex, as life forms evolve, we also move away and we lose our sense of oneness. But so, you know, one way of looking at it is to say that the impulse we feel to develop spiritually is an impulse to go back home to our original source. So it's a remembering. We're, We're transcending the process of forgetting who we are, forgetting our spiritual source. I think that's that's very true. I think individually, most human beings have completely forgotten their spiritual source. We feel like we are autonomous individuals living within our bodies. We even feel that we are purely physical entities consisting of cells and atoms. There's nothing more to us than our physical form. So we've lost our sense of connection to spirit. So, yeah, so spiritual development is a kind of remembering. It's a, an undoing of the process um, of our development that takes us back to our spiritual source. I like, I like how you said taking us home. I like that. It's very interesting. It resonated when you said that, taking us home. Yeah, yeah. Well, ultimately, spirit or consciousness is our home. That's where we've emerged from and we're, we're all trying to get back there. Yeah, I love that. We'll leave it there. What a good mm. podcast. Thank you so much. Okay. Really a pleasure. Thank you. You're welcome. Really cool. Great to speak to you.
boom 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 i hope you liked that conversation guys i thought it was a really cool one and i hope you didn't mind the audio on my microphone next week um well not maybe not next week and next few days maybe when the podcast's out because this one was a little bit behind as it took us a while to do the audio so in the next few days when the next podcast is out all service will normal service will be resumed in the podcast audio will be much better microphone will not be um from a camera from an audio will not be from a camera anyway so i hope you enjoyed that one if you can find it in your heart as always check out the patreon page or check out the one-off donation option and just to play this conversation out as i always do this one is a really cool song it was a song that i used to listen to a lot when i was younger but it is a really funky funky song and has a powerful message as always as i like to do that but it's by an artist called Damien Marley and also Naz. The song is called Road to Zion. It is a beast of a tune. So anyway, I hope you enjoy this song to play out the podcast. I'll catch you next week, people. Peace out.
We sparkin' the irons, marchin' the Zion You know how Nas be, NYC, state of mind, I'm in This world of calamity Dirty looks and judges and jealousy And police where you abuse their majority Me the clowns when I know about variety Single parents when need some charity Youths when need some love and prosperity Instead of broken dreams and tragedy By any plan and any means and strategy See, I got to keep on walking On the road to Zion, man Hey, we got to keep it burning Keep on walking on the road to Zion, man.